how surprised were you by, by the amount of things that you own? Oh, so I was just telling my roommate because we keep taking loads over to our new places. And I took a load the other day and I was like, I thought I was done. Like, what else could I possibly have? And then sure enough, I filled up my entire car with stuff again. And I was like, dang it. <laughs> it's always the kitchen stuff too. Like you have way more kitchen stuff than you realize. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also have Just... a bunch of, I, I still have in my closet uh, over here, um, a bunch of boxes that I moved into this apartment that have miscellaneous stuff in them that I have probably never opened in the five years I've lived here. So it's like, why do I even really? own the box? <laughs> why do I have this box of stuff? It doesn't mean anything. This episode of Talking Underwater is brought to you by Central Life Sciences. Protect your facility from midge and filter flies with Strike. Welcome to Talking Underwater. One water, one podcast. I'm Bob Crossan, Senior Managing Editor of Water and Waste Digest. I'm Lauren Delcello, Managing Editor for Water Quality Products. And I'm Katie Johns, Managing Editor of Stormwater Solutions. And in this month's episode of Talking Underwater, we'll discuss the recent Senate passage of the Drinking Water and Wastewater Infrastructure Act of 2021, and we'll touch on a new U.S. EPA web-based app to help communities identify potential sources of pollution to recreational waters. We'll also unpack some survey results conducted by Water Quality Products, Stormwater Solutions, and Water Waste Digest on water industry attitudes toward live event attendance. Finally, our interview this month is with Rajan Ray. He is Digital Solutions Leader for CDM Smith, and we're going to talk about emerging technologies that are advancing the engineering and design phases of projects in the water and wastewater industry. But first, let's talk with our let's talk about our news. The U.S. Senate passed the Drinking Water and Wastewater Infrastructure Act of 2021 on April 29th, which would authorize more than $35 billion for water resource development projects through the Drinking Water and Clean Water SRFs, WIFIA, the U.S. EPA Sewer and Overflow Sewer Overflow and Stormwater Reuse Municipal Grant Program, and more. A drinking water section prioritizes a drinking water resilience program, lead service line replacement, and lead in school grants, as well as PFAS treatment grants. This legislation is now going to head to the House of Representatives and is expected to be agreed upon in early summer. So wanted to talk briefly about kind of what this means. This is a pretty sizable amount of money. I know that drinking water and clean water SRFs are two of the largest funding sources for municipal water and wastewater folks and projects and stuff like that. WIFIA tends to be much bigger projects, those multi-million dollar projects. I think there's, last year there was around $5 billion just for that grant program alone. So only about 40 to 50 projects are actually awarded through WIFIA. So they're gigantic projects and there's something that I'd like to follow a little bit more this year, but um, something I wanted to unpack there. It sounds like it really lines up also with the American Jobs Plan with what types of things it wants to focus on, being lead service line replacement and PFAS stuff. Yeah, this is really big and interesting to see, um, especially following up on some previous discussions we've had on the podcast surrounding increasing awareness for water quality and uh, water treatment issues. So on the drinking water and the small system side as well, there's the 
rural low-income water assistance pilot program to provide 40 grants per year to assist low-income rate payers. And also super vital and noteworthy is that the bill would allow EPA's assistance for small and disadvantaged communities grant program to use funds specifically for point of use and point of entry. This has kind of been an increasing trend in recent legislation and it's, it's pretty exciting to see from my facet of the industry. Yeah, and on the stormwater side, in addition to the Clean Water SRFs and WIPIA, um, the EPA Sewer Overflow and Stormwater Reuse Municipal Grant Program would get $1.4 billion over the next five years, and the Stormwater Infrastructure Technology Program, um, which would get $25 million to create five stormwater centers of excellence and $50 million for stormwater infrastructure planning and development and implementation grants. It's kind of huge, right? To to see stormwater have that kind of representation, I, it's it's startling in in, a, in an exciting way. It is exciting it to see it, you know, get it, you know, very specific to stormwater. I mean, it is included in the clean water SRFs and all that, but to get the specific funding for the sewer overflow and stormwater reuse and stuff like that is it's great. Yeah, and just to touch on that, that the the money for that. St- sewer overflow stuff it ties in very directly with what we are hearing from municipalities and their experience because of extreme weather events these events are getting more extreme there's more water than ever before and their capacity just can't isn't there to manage it so it's it's pretty cool that there's that much tied in just addressing that specific issue because it's a massive issue for so many communities and so many people deal with like flooded basements or flooded neighborhood roads that they can't even drive on and all that kind of a stuff. So it, that, that could be a huge boon for a lot of communities. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, kind of moving along and speaking of communities, the EPA just released an update um, to an app they have. So um, the US EPA, it's an improved web-based app to help communities identify potential sources of pollution to recreational waters. So the app, it's called the Sanitary Survey App for Marine and Fresh Waters. It prioritizes community education and involvement in water quality pollution. Um, and so for anyone that wants to download the app, you have to request credentials from the EPA, but it sounds like really anyone can request those credentials. And if you're out in the community and see what you think might be pollution, you can and put it on the app, which is cool. So we just wanted to share that little aside. Yeah, it's a way for you to also look at the beach that you're going to on fr- Saturday or Sunday and determine, oh, should I go to a different beach instead? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, and then moving on to our last uh, news bite for today's episode of the podcast before we transition into the interview is we teased this last week that we've been working on some uh, surveys, getting feedback from the water industry and wanted to share some of those results briefly with you all. Um, Now, more than a year after the World Health Organization declared the coronavirus a global pandemic, as COVID-19 vaccines are increasingly available to the public and the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention continues to evaluate the threat of COVID-19 on public health, industry-related travel may potentially resume, albeit with CDC recommendation precautions in place. So we wanted to know what will that look like for the water industry? And throughout April, 2021, 
water quality products, stormwater solutions, and water waste digest surveyed our audiences regarding industry attitudes for live events attendance along those veins. The survey asked respondents in the water industry a couple of key questions to assess how they feel regarding live event attendance, when they would feel most comfortable attending events, and why they answered the way that they did. Now, a brief look at water quality products. Our audience is composed largely of water treatment professionals that serve the residential and commercial markets. The data that was pulled April 26, 2021 had 38 respondents total. More than two thirds of the respondents, that's 68%, said they were comfortable with traveling for work-related events right now. And further, 60.5% said they were comfortable traveling in Q2, 13% said Q3, 18% Q4, and 8% in 2022. And when asked what safety measures they would like to see in place to feel comfortable to travel to live events, answers really ranged a lot. Mass social distancing, hand sanitizer, and vaccination requirements were pretty common responses, though on the flip side as well, common sense, nothing special, and none were also frequent responses. So I'm going to toss the mic over to Katie to talk a little bit about how the stormwater sector responded to these questions. Yeah, thanks, Lauren. So SWS, we surveyed our audience of stormwater and erosion control professionals to gauge how they're feeling about traveling. So the survey had 33 responses total and 54.5% said they were comfortable traveling right now. Uh, additionally, 45.5% said they'd be comfortable traveling sometime in Q2. 18.2% um, said Q3, 9.1% said Q4, and 27.3% said 2022. We also asked them what safety measures they would like to see in place, and similar to the WQP audience, and uh, answers ranged, but mass vaccinations, sanitizing stations, mass social distancing were common answers, along with limited attendance and outdoor events when possible. And a couple people also noted that their travel would have to be approved by their company as well. Yeah, and for Water and Waste Digest, we ended up with 85 responses in total. This was sent out to our e-news audience uh, three times over the course of three separate weeks, and I pulled the information on April 27th. 75% uh, of the responses said they were comfortable with traveling right now, and 21% said they were not, with the remaining ones being saying they were it wasn't applicable to them. And from that, we also found that the respondents were comfortable with traveling immediately or in Q2, meaning starting in, at the latest in June and working earlier in the year, so anytime between now and June. And the remaining half felt comfortable traveling in quarter three and quarter four, with more of them being comfortable with quarter three than quarter four. That likely means to me that they were interested in traveling earlier in the year rather than later in the year and extending things out into 2022 and beyond. We also found that proximity played a large role in how comfortable people were with the with live event attendance, which makes sense to me. People were much more comfortable with traveling to local events than to national events. And several individuals also indicated that they would not need safety measures to feel comfortable, much like uh, the WQP audience said. But there were a lot of other people who also mentioned that safety measures such as masks, social distancing, hand sanitizer, are all necessary and another common response was proof of vaccination one of the things 
working back a little bit, but when we, because we're going to talk a little bit about our overlap here, one of the things I wanted to touch on that I found was interesting is that the way that we understood and defined the local, state, regional, and national events, I think was a little bit flipped for some of our audience members, because I think that for, for regional, they were thinking region as in a matter of like certain cities rather than regions as in states. So a lot of the regional responses seem to be fall between the uh, the local and the state uh, or orders of responses, which makes me think that they think they're considering regional to be closer to them rather than further, which was the opposite of how I was expecting it to, to be. Um, just the first thing I'm noticing cursory is it seems that um, there's kind of a progression and range of comfort with traveling right now. Based off of these data results, it looks like WWD audience is the most comfortable with immediate travel for work-related events, followed by WPP and followed by SWS's audience, though there's certainly to say that there, there's a range within all facets of, you know, Katie had specified that there were some groups that would like mass vaccination or limited attendance, so there's, there's always a range to be found. Mm -hmm. I think, too, that I think too for the for the time frame like the the quarter one quarter two quarter three quarter four and 2022 so there were only those options that you could only choose one so i think that p so that it's not like chances are if people selected quarter two for comfortability they'd be fine with quarter three and quarter four and 2022 right so like the the skew there is a little different than what we, we we could recognize as well. So it's like maybe only 8% chose 2022, but they chose quarter two, so they're fine with 2022 as well. You know what I mean? So like the, the data is hard to like clarify in that regard. So it's something to keep in mind when looking at the data points there. But in any case, you can get more more of this information. Each of us has uh, has some information on our websites. Uh, we'll link that in our podcast notes as well so that you can see uh, the data in more clear terms. I know that each of us has presented a report on that, and there's some graphs and stuff, so you can kind of see it a little more visually. It's probably a little bit harder to gauge it from the the spoken word here. So uh, definitely check out check those out. Visit our websites to get that information. And with that, I'd like to transition into our interview. So this month, we, I interviewed Rajan Ray. He is the digital solutions leader for CDM Smith. He co-authored an article in the May issue of Water and Waste Digest about the emerging technologies that engineers and designers are beginning to incorporate in their project designs and engineering phases. From HoloLens technology to virtual reality, we discussed a ton of cool technologies that are changing the way that engineers are designing and conducting projects, including the construction side of things, making sure things are staying on time. So let's talk to Raj now. Hey everybody, it's Bob Crossan, Senior Managing Editor for Water and Waste Digest. Today I have with me Rajan Ray. He is Global Strategy Lead of Digital Solutions for CDM Smith. He and a co-author penned an article in our May issue about some emerging technologies that engineers are using to better do their jobs. And so we're going to talk a little bit about what those technologies are and how they're impacting the work that he and his teams have been doing. So Raj, thanks so much for being on the call. We appreciate your, you taking the time today. No, thanks, Bob. It's good to uh, be on this uh, call and appreciate kind of all the kind of good things, good articles that you guys are producing. So, no, thanks. 
Yeah, and we've seen we've seen some of these these changes over the years. I think we've this is probably the second article that I've I, I published for WWD about kind of these emerging technologies in the engineering side of things. A lot of times we're so focused on the technologies of treatment and you know what's happening at the plant, but there's a lot of technology that's happening from the engineering side and getting your making your jobs easier. Could you talk about kind of that changing and evolving landscape there and the types of technology that is out there now that is influencing the way that you're engineering and designing these systems yeah i mean it's um i guess like in a, in a few words kind of everything is evolving to digital um i think we wrote in um the article like utilities are collecting more data than ever before something like 2.65 quintillion uh, bytes of data each day which I have no idea what that number is. But, you know, it certainly sounds like a lot, right? Um, but there's just, just a ton of um, data and data streams, but there's still that, that existing problem that's been there for, for the longest time. And you, know, you could probably talk to any utility about it, is that there's still a communications and collaboration challenge. Um, and a lot of that, you know, it uh, affects not only the utility in terms of their daily operations and planning, but also uh, interactions with consulting firms. You know, if you look at any project timeline schedule, um, waiting for data, data interactions, um, data processing, all that is time, which equates to money, which equates to more billable hours, to longer project cycles, et cetera, et cetera. And so the more we can do uh, refining that and kind of uh, providing more value with those data streams, uh, the better. So that's a, that, that would be kind of it in, in the short, I mean, coupled with there is a certainly a trend and kind of a, uh, a new generation of kind of more digital savvy um, operators and engineers that are kind of joining the forces in both utilities and, and engineering firms. And then there's a wave of folks in the next, you know, two to five years or so of people leaving um, that have a lot of that information on systems and processes. And so the, the timing's uh, kind of right for doing things smarter and better with, uh, with yeah, just digital technology and solutions. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, do, do you do feel, do you kind of, do you see the same thing with the, some of the, the kind of leader uh, leaders and experts you talk to oh yeah for sure the, this whole digital transformation stuff and the, the acceleration on that front in terms of data like you talked about is something that i i've been hearing about for many years and i think last year especially with the pandemic there's a much greater acceleration towards a lot of these systems especially in terms of like remote access to to that data um, just because of the nature of trying to comply with social distancing and pandemic guidelines and stuff like that, a lot of utilities were gravitating toward those programs so that they could accomplish their work without compromising on those guidelines and whatnot. Um, I wanted to talk too about kind of like from, again, from that engineering side, some of the things that were mentioned in the article, like HoloLens and VR and that kind of a thing, like how... How are those things being used from like the design aspect? Because my understanding is that it, it allows you to kind of basically create the CAD of the, the thing that you're building and have someone like actually walk through it without even being there. 
Exactly. And I mean, and so you mentioned a couple of things. So one is how the pandemic really was like a force, uh, a little bit of a force multiplier to get that technology evolved and in use. So, you know, example, we've, we've, we're working on a, uh, a treatment plant in the Middle East and with the travel restrictions, we're like, what are we going to do? You know, we still have a project, they still need to get this done. Um, and so the, the use of HoloLens and some of that technology, that extended reality technology was like paramount to getting that project rolling and, and doing that. So, but yeah, exactly what you said is kind of um, being able to design and actually see before they're actually in the ground or in the facility, but to see how they could work and to model it prior to see where you need to position machinery and get things in place to actually continue with the, the design and build is uh is huge. I mean it's it's a big it's a big shift and a, a positive shift uh, in my opinion of 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 really being more efficient with uh with projects um especially projects where there's a ge geographical distance uh, between the consultant and the the client. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I was. I wanted to ask you, like, which of these seems is most exciting to you? I, I, I mean, from my personal feeling, like seeing that Hololens stuff, and like, because I know from an engineering side of, of it, part of it, it, part of it is certainly making sure the system operates properly. But the other part is like, is this railing in the right spot? Like, <laughs> is the can we even access to do the maintenance that we need to do in this space? And I would imagine that having that kind of Hololens thing for something that's so geographically far away that you can still interact with is a massive, massive help in those even even those tiny small details that you also need to get right. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, right. So that and coupled with that kind of the digital twin technology. So not only just uh, buildings, but in, you know, collection systems, water distribution systems, being able to actually model and plan proactively by seeing where things are and kind of who's involved and actually how it uh, integrates with uh, project schedules and, and personnel is, uh, is, is, is a big deal for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in, in terms of like usage of these technologies, you mentioned this, this project that you guys had done kind of in the Middle East and you use the the, these systems to uh, to keep that running through the pandemic. What are some other ways that CDM Smith has leveraged technology like this to it, it make its work possible, <laughs> mm -hmm. or to enhance it if it's that way? <laughs> yeah, so I'll speak to a bit more of some of the digital kind of innovations because I think that is I mean there's there's definitely um, the communications and collaboration standpoint that's it's it's kind of a need and um, required in most most of all I probably all places right to improve that and so the, those types of extended reality and Hololens and and even just I mean uh, as basic as cloud computing um, you know as as the base baseline and just making things simple that that's that's there but like in terms of some some of the digital technologies that's exciting that we're kind of working on. Um, it's all it's all about um, kind of capitalizing on data investments that our clients and utilities are already using. So, you know, for example, um, we're doing some work in Hawaii to optimize um, the client's data for risk-based uh, prioritization, and then we're going to combine that with the latest in satellite image processing and AI to identify 
replacement candidates according to like the, the leakage potential from the satellite uh, imagery. So that, that's pretty exciting. Um, you know, the lead and copper rule, as you know, is a big deal. It's, and there's a lot of, um, lot of resources and investments going into it. But um, we did a project with City of Newark in New Jersey, and we shortened the time frame of the service line replacement from 10 years to two and a half years just by being a little bit smarter with construction management than using GIS and that type of technology, having dashboards and field, uh, um, field data and devices all kind of talking in, in synchronous uh, and getting things done just much more um, efficiently and, uh, and really with the with those key performance indicators kind of front and center to really cut down that time frame. So the visualization is, I think is a big deal that not just dashboarding, but visualization and actually establishing actions from those, um, from those software tools is, is, is kind of where um, I see kind of, we see, you know, CDM Smith for sure going and the industry going, you know, the timing's right to just do really neat things. Like, as you mentioned, like COVID, forced a lot of people to work remotely, do things off, you know, off of uh, with the streamlined workforce, as well as um, not the ability to go to people's houses and, and collect, you know, collect data as they used to. So it changed a lot of the mindset, which is, I think, is the sometimes the biggest change that needs to happen before technology gets adopted. And so that mindset, mind shift and kind of culture and behavior change from forced by the pandemic um, really helped us promote like things like we're, we're, we're just investing a lot of uh, with an R&D, with machine learning and artificial intelligence with, um, for example, looking at sewer lines and kind of classifying defects um, on an automated fashion and more standardized fashion with that. Um, Facilities. So the, the, another part of like plants and facilities of looking at um, energy costs and reducing greenhouse gases. Um, so using that type of technology of data processing, AI and machine learning to cut down on those energies and um, energies that plant um, pumping chemical costs as well as greenhouse gases. So a lot of things that kind of tie back to a lot of the mission and kind of goals and initiatives and utilities, we kind of hit front and center just based off of the the data that they already have or investments that they're making. Yeah. So I, I wanted to talk about to the um, just kind of from the utility perspective, what kind of benefits they would get from utilizing stuff like this. And you've already mentioned a couple of them, like in terms of the lead and copper rule about using GIS information and other measurement data to actually find the pipes that you need to replace for lead inventory. <laughs> like huge, right. like what, what, a, what a huge lift that's going to be for a lot of utilities to, to do. Um, so having these systems in place and having these technologies available to shorten that time frame, like you said, is dramatically important but but also in terms of like we had mentioned the the hololens stuff and being able to do things so remotely what kind of benefits do those things play in addition to like like i guess we can separate it like what does the data role play and then what does like the design engineering role play of like how what kinds of benefits do they get from either or yeah so the uh on the design engineering the the benefits is um more streamlined, so um, more streamlined initial designs to uh, really overall project schedules are, are more streamlined because you're you're um, able to 
bring in data and planning using the, the HoloLens and digital twin types of uh, technologies and do a lot of upfront work uh, much more efficiently. Um, on the data side, it's just, it, it is kind of what um, the challenge, you know, the challenges, if you look at any, you know, all these are public budget reports from utilities, or you look at them, there's line items that say they're spending tens of thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars on data initiatives and data processing. Um, but there's still, if you ask any of them, there's still data silos. There's still only a few sets of eyes actually look at those, those data streams. And so then you ask yourself, okay, what can you do to, if we had more, more people looking at it and more massing up of that data, what, you know, what, uh, you know, what can you, what, what multipliers can you get from that, right? Like what is, what, if you are able to have customer service see where there's lead and copper requests and where there's water age um, challenges and then having call come in, um, you know, if you put all those pieces together to get some new insights and you're able to do some more actions. Um, so that's the exciting part on the data side. Um, and then, yeah, as, as mentioned, like there's more uh, with the Biden infrastructure bill and kind of the investments, you know, the, the money that, that's being provided for lead and copper and for aging infrastructure. Um, there's going to be a need just to be more, uh, I guess, more proactive and I guess more defendable decision making on, on what engineers and what utilities come up with, right? So like they're proposing to replace a good amount of pipes at a certain time, they better have a plan around it to, to back it up, right? It's just to kind of say like, why, why did you prioritize this versus another part of your system? And that whole um the whole socioeconomic aspect of like okay are we are we being fair and equitable how we're planning our infrastructure improvements it's all going to be part of that equation and being uh transparent and uh democratizing that data is is a, is a big big part of that yeah the 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 thing that you mentioned as well earlier was like the machine learning aspect of that too and i think that that's kind of like one of the next steps then too because part of part of the challenge with the machine learning ai right now is just making sure that people have the data to run through it um so could you talk a little bit about where do you see the future of these technologies going in terms of whether it's HoloLens or machine learning AI, whether it's data data understanding and data analytics, where do you see these types of things going, these digital strategies going, both for utilities and for engineering firms? Yes, um, so there's so much to talk. I, I'll talk to you, I'll, I'll kind of um, talk to you what's kind of near and dear to my heart. I, with uh, uh, I, I really think there's there's a, we're just touching the surface around the digital twin and smart water side of side of things. So kind of those innovations going around that. Um, and so as, as we, we discussed, like the cloud is kind of changing kind of the, the speed to implement um, the affordability of kind of getting at these, these systems um, and the simplicity. Um, and so like, I, you know, I equate a lot to the, the auto industry, right? They're doing, um, I think today I was listening to the radio about the largest or the highest grossing vehicle in the US, the Ford F-150, right, is now going electric. And so these little changes, these kind of things are starting. And then, you know, and so, so many years, it's going to be ubiquitous. No one's going to care 
you know, you go to Home Depot, you, know, you have rows and rows of lawn equipment that's all electric, you know, battery powered versus if you went there 10 years ago, everything was like the clunky uh, oil and gas, right? And so these changes are, are happening. And with a digital twin, that landscape and the smart water is just, it is, uh, you know, it's starting to, to move in that, um, you know, I think what, what's, what you'll find and I think what's going to win is simplicity is going to be king. Um, I think about how with the pandemic and Zoom, right? Zoom wasn't like the only online player, like media, uh, online meeting, you know, place there, but they're the most simple, um, you know, they beat out and go to meet them beat out these other players in the market because they my my dad could use it <laughs> and like they're able to get it right like so the uh so what, what's neat about it is like simplicity that you know utilities still won't have um the time for operators and their engineers to spend days on training or going through training manuals you need a simple simple tools to get specific jobs done in their goals and niches that they they set forth so if it's lead and copper, if it's uh, reducing overflows on the sewer side, if it's reducing flooding for river agencies, it's it's uh, it's all all of that. So I'm really excited that with that. But like, you know, my uh, you know, on the other side is like with great power. You know, I think it was a <laughs> Spider-Man it comes good, big, you know, great responsibility and then risk. Right? There's that that cybersecurity, like that whole side of like, okay, now we need to invest and kind of make sure we're being all these different solutions that are being developed in different places are smart with how they're developing it they're, they're looking at the cyber security threats and and uh building accordingly um but i don't, I don't want to end in a down note but there's so much so much good <laughs> like good things yeah. going on it's uh it really is an exciting time to, to be in our industry i think really um there's like positive disruption in terms of like really getting something done to really make change is is happening right now so uh, appreciate you kind of organizing this call i think it's a it's a good, good discussion to have totally and i i want to just unpack a couple of the things you mentioned there the simplicity is key thing i think is really important and you mentioned the security aspect in terms of simplicity i think that you're totally right there these these systems as powerful as they are if they add a burden to already stressed and burdened utilities are they actually going to use them they have to be so easy to implement so easy to use and to, to be effective because otherwise at, at some point optimization is no longer optimal because the time you spent optimizing didn't produce an outcome that was <laughs> right. optimal enough so like, <laughs> so like at some point you just have to cut the cord and say this is the simplicity this is the simple answer and this is how we're going to use it so i think that you you make a really really strong point there i think that's a really critical point for already stressed utilities and then obviously security is going to be a big thing i think that this is something that even us as WWD, we haven't touched on nearly enough given how much data is being pulled in by utilities these days. Um, it is something that's really, really critical. And I, I think after the uh, the event in Oldsmar, Florida earlier this year, mm. I think that was like one of the one of the few very public things that we hear about. I think that that's really impressed on utilities, kind of that's that security issue a lot more. And I think that that's going to drive a lot of conversations, especially this year at like trade shows and virtual events and stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, it's, um, it is the kind of the 
the challenge, but the at the same time the exciting point of like developing tools that are um, useful but easy to use and secure. I mean, it really comes down to those, those basic elements. But yeah, yeah, make it, it easy to use and secure. <laughs> it's so, it's so, you make it sound so simple. Yeah, yeah exactly right. Uh, for everyone who is watching or listening, you can uh, check out the article that Raj uh, penned in the description below, and you can get some more information there. Uh, but thank you again, Raj. We, we appreciate your time. Thanks, Rob. I appreciate you having us here. So thanks for that. Thanks so much for the interview, Raj. I, I appreciate you taking the time and talking to us about those technologies and whatnot. You can read some more about those technologies on Water and Waste Digest website. We'll include a link in our show notes below so that you can check that out. But let's move on to housekeeping. Lauren, want to kick us off? Yeah, thanks, Bob. I just have a real brief note today, and that is uh, rather related to the subject of our survey that we discussed, I suppose, is that I will be at the upcoming Texas Water Quality Association show in July in San Antonio and the National Water Quality Association show in Las Vegas. So if you're interested in connecting or sharing thoughts, please email me at wqpeditor at sgcmail.com. Looking forward to hearing from you. And along similar lines for Water and Waste Digest and Stormwater Solutions, the Scranton Gillette Communications Water Group, of which both are a part, is bringing a water pavilion to the Utility Expo from September 28th to September 30th, 2021 at the Kentucky Exposition Center in Louisville, Kentucky. You can now register for that event today at theutilityexpo.com. And specifically for Stormwater Solutions, we are now accepting nominations for our 2021 top projects. So be sure to submit your outstanding work with us at bit.ly slash SWS top projects 2021. Nominations close at the end of July. And finally, uh, SWS's next webinar is May 27th. So please join us as we talk all things permeable pavement. You can register for free at bit.ly slash SWS May webinar. And with that, that's the end of our episode, but don't forget to like, subscribe, share on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Spotify, and really we're anywhere you can get podcasts. You can also reach us at talkingunderwater at sgcmail.com to share your thoughts. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TUW Podcast. Thanks so much for listening.